0: Well, good morning, church. It is good to be with you. If you don't mind, I'm going to take care of some business before I get started with my sermon this morning. Uh, I mentioned last week, uh, last month, we celebrated 150 years since our founding as a church as the university's church, that we started 150 years ago as the church for faculty, students, and staff of what is now Texas Christian University. And those of us... Those of us that are TCU football fans, we've had a hard year, especially especially on the heels of a national championship run last year. And so this year, uh, we have had to look for moments of brightness and things to celebrate anywhere we can find them. And it dawned on me last night, dawned on me last night that we have beaten this season SMU, which is the Methodists. We have beaten BYU, which is the Mormons, and yesterday we were victorious over Baylor, which is the Baptist. So as the disciples, we... Uh, yeah, thank you, this is fine. But wait, hold on, hold, hold on, just wait. Hold your applause, I've got something even better than that. And that is, so this morning I have discovered uh, and declared that as the university's church, uh, I am instituting what I am gonna call the Jesus Cup. Uh, because we have, <laughs> we have beaten the Methodists and the, the Mormons and the Baptists. Now, the only trophy that I could find is the second place uh, UCC golf classic from 1981. That's the only thing <laughs> that I could find. Uh, and the golf club is missing, so if anybody knows where that is. But if you uh, if you would like to come and see Oh jeez, it just <laughs> fell. Set that right there. So we don't need that. So we'll just If you would like to come see the Jesus cup, it'll be in my office. How's that sound? All right. I have the best job in the world. I'm just going to tell you that right now. So we are continuing this morning a series that we are calling Prayer 101. We're going back to the basics, I guess you could say. And this whole series is based upon a book uh, by Anne Lamott in which she says, in the very opening lines of the book, I don't know much about God and prayer, but I've come to believe that there is something to be said about keeping prayer simple. Help. Help. Thanks. Wow. And so those are our three themes that we're looking at in this series as we try to break down prayer, not to dumb it down, but to break it down, to try and make it simple but not simplistic. Oliver Wendell Holmes once said, I wouldn't give a fig for the simplicity on this side of complexity, but I would give my life for the simplicity on the other side of complexity. And so that's What we are looking for is simplicity on the other side of complexity when it comes to prayer. In the series we're using as a way to enter into this the the book of Psalms, which as Dietrich Bonhoeffer referred to it as the prayer book of the Bible. And I I shared with you last week that there are essentially uh, three different categories, three different types of Psalms. There are Psalms of Lament. There are psalms of thanksgiving, and there are psalms of praise. And so in that, I think we can declare, in fact, that the three most essential prayers that are uttered are help, thanks, and wow. So this morning, as we enter into this week of thanksgiving, we're looking at a psalm of thanksgiving, Psalm 30, that was written by King David, uh, in which he expresses thanks and gratitude uh, for deliverance from, from illness, but also from his adversaries, from his foes. And, and he is so thankful and he's so grateful that he can't help but dance. And so I invite you to hear this word from Psalm
1: 30. Today's reading is from Psalms 30, 1 through 5, and 11 through 12. Here begins the reading. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and did not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you brought up my soul from Sheol, restored me to life from among those gone down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you, his faithful ones, And give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may linger for the night, but joy comes with the morning. You have turned my morning into dancing, you have taken off my sackcloth, and clothed me with joy, so that my soul may praise you and not be silent. Oh Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Here ends the reading: the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks
0: be to God. You have turned my morning to dancing. You have clothed me with joy, and I will give thanks to you, O oh God, forever. You know, there is a lot to celebrate these days. There's a lot to be thankful for. But any of us who live with any sense of compassion know that there's a lot to mourn as well. There's war in the Middle East and in Ukraine. The images and the loss are horrific. And as a result of that, uh, there is anti-Semitism and Islamophobia here in the United States and not only that but Christian nationalism is a threat to our democracy. Inflation is on the rise. There's there's a lot for us to mourn. I also know of several families this week as they gather together for Thanksgiving that there will be an empty seat, an empty chair where that loved one has sat for years and years and years. You know, sometimes it is easy to celebrate. It's easy to give thanks, and sometimes it's harder. Some weeks it's harder to pray thanks when help is all we can muster. And the psalmist, as you heard a minute ago, alluded to that. He says, that, "You know, there's there's going to be good days, and there's going to be hard days. That life is a bit of a roller coaster." One of my favorite bloggers that I read regularly says that life is a mixture of brutal and beautiful. It's a combination of both. She's created a new word to describe life. She says, life is brutal, and we know that to be true. Anne Lamott says, you know, it's easy to thank God for life when things are going well. But life is much bigger than we give it credit for, and and much of the time it's harder than we would like. But it's a package deal, though. In other words, life is brutal. She tells the story of when her son Sam was about seven years old, and he came to the grips with the realization that, that we would all die at some point and it doesn't all happen at the same time. And there was a, a good chance that, that he may have to live for a time without his mother, the only parent that he had ever known. And when that realization came over him, he began, he began to weep. He began to weep, and between the sobs, he finally said, if I had known that, I wouldn't have agreed to be born. I think if all of us understood how hard life can be at times, we might not have agreed to be born. I admit that sometimes maintaining a position of gratitude can be a bit of a stretch. There are so many hard things that happen in life. Back during the days of the Depression, there was a group of clergy up in the Northeast that gathered together they met each month, and this month in November, they decided they, decided they were going to have a conversation about how best to conduct their Thanksgiving services. Remember, this is right in the middle of the Great Depression. Things were about as bad as they could get. There was no sign of relief in sight. The bread lines were depressingly long. The stock market had plummeted. The, the term Great Depression seemed an apt description of pretty much everything in the world at that time. And so the clergy that were gathered together for this monthly meeting, they they started thinking that maybe the best thing that they could do, the most sensitive, the most pastoral thing that they could do, would just lightly touch on Thanksgiving in reverence to all of the human misery that was all around them. But there was one of them, though, that listened for a while and and then spoke up. This is not the time, he suggested. This is not the time to just to give a, a mere mention to Thanksgiving. In fact, in fact, just the opposite. This was the time for the nation to put matters into perspective, to thank God for the blessings that are always present, but just sometimes suppressed, hidden due to the hardship that is all around. You think of those pilgrims on the very first Thanksgiving. half of their people were dead. they were without a home, no country to call their own, but still, but still, there was thanksgiving to God and I would argue I would argue that their gratitude was not for something but it was in something and not only that it was that that same sense of gratitude that led Abraham Lincoln to formally established Thanksgiving Day right in the midst of the Civil War when when the list of casualties was growing on both sides, when the very nation itself struggled to survive. It was that sense of gratitude that led him to establish the very first Thanksgiving Day. There is this great story in Luke's Gospel... Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem. He's going through an area between Samaria and Galilee. And, and, and as he's going, he, he is approached. There are 10 lepers that are sitting there by the side of the road. And, and, and there they are. They're there because they are obligated to be there. If you had leprosy at the time, you weren't allowed to live in amongst the society. Leprosy was considered to be highly contagious. And so not only that, not only were you you forced to live on the outskirts of town, but if anyone were to approach, you had to, required by law, to call out, unclean, unclean, to to warn them to stay away. But yet they would position themselves near the, the traffic ways in order to appeal for charity much in the same way that we might see someone standing near an off-ramp or an intersection with a cardboard sign asking for food or work. Well, as Jesus nears, they call out and ask for mercy. And and Jesus, in that moment, he doesn't do anything miraculous. He doesn't do anything, no special words, no actions, just instructions. He says, go and, and present yourself to the priest, again, in accordance to the law. And all 10 of them do as they're told. They get up and they they get up and go, and on the way, Luke says, on the way, they are made clean. But one of the lepers, who was a Samaritan, realizes the significance of what's happened, and so he, he goes back to Jesus and, and thanks him, praising God, and, and, and Jesus notices that, that he's all alone. Weren't there nine, he says? Where are the others? And he just kind of shrugs and says, I, I, I don't know. And so Jesus says to the Samaritan, get up and go on your way. Your faith, he says, has made you well. Now, the original Greek says something slightly different. The original Greek literally says, saved you. That your faith has saved you. Not made you well, which would have been been enough, but, but the original Greek says, saved you. The implication here was that What the commentaries point out is that all ten were healed, but only one was saved. The Samaritan, two-time loser. Not only was he a leper, but also a Samaritan. The one with the most to lose, but also the one with the most to gain. The Samaritan was the only one of the ten that was saved. And what was it? It was his gratitude, his simple prayer. Jesus, thanks. You know, when I look at the world around us today, when I look at our culture, what oftentimes leads to a sense of distance and isolation in our culture, the the one that, that, that many of us feel and sense amongst others I would argue that in some ways is a deeply ingrained feeling of entitlement. This notion that somehow, that that, that I'm entitled to things, that that I don't owe anyone for anything, that I I have no responsibility to care for anybody else. Now, how many of you, when I say that, immediately think of someone that they know that that fits that description to a T? Is there someone in your life that immediately comes to mind? But how many of us immediately think of ourselves? How many of us see that same illness that exists in each and every one of us? You see, I would argue that there is this deep self-centeredness that assumes that that everything is my right, that everything is my due. It's this attitude that replaces concern for other people, the, the community with this preoccupation with my own needs. And that is what enables us, what forces us to maintain our difference is the illusion of our absolute independence of each other. And healed of illness, we wander off because after all, well, we're entitled to it. There is this sense, no sense of we, all too often it's just me, You know, a few years ago, I mentioned in a sermon that we are all incredibly blessed. If we live in the United States in the 21st century, we are incredibly blessed. And I said in the midst of that sermon that that our lives are an embarrassment of riches. You've You've probably heard me say that I say that from time to time as a way to, to signify and to, to remind us how incredibly blessed we are an embarrassment of riches. Now, uh, I confess that that's not my own phrase. I heard it one time, and it resonated deeply with me, so, it, so it's become something that I say on a regular basis. Well, my last church, I said that one Sunday, and one of my members of my church came and made an appointment, called me on Monday and said, can I, can I come and meet with you? I said, sure, and she came into my office, and she sat down, and she said, you know, when you said that, that our lives are an embarrassment of riches, she said, I don't like it when you say that. Can you not say that anymore? I said, you know, that's a bit of a strong reaction. Can you you explain to me why you feel so adamant about that? And she says, when you say that, I feel shame. I feel shame. I tried to explain that, that, that I wasn't saying that to invoke a sense of shame, but rather gratitude. Uh, she says, I don't feel thankful. I feel shameful. So, why, why is it that gratitude is so difficult for us? William Willimon was the chaplain of Duke University for a number of years. Now he's a, a bishop in Alabama. And he said at one point that, that in working with students at Duke, that he came to see that, that a major reason why young people, young adults, come to have a, a, a sense of, of, of argument, come to despise, in a sense, their parents, is that at one point they come to discover that everything that they have, their gifts, their weaknesses, their strengths, their, their, everything that they have, everything that they have is a gift from their parents. And we would rather, he says, we would rather be self-made men and women standing on our own two feet, striding bravely into a world of our own creation. But everything that we have is a gift from our parents, from God. And the truth is we aren't always all that good at recognizing and celebrating Our dependence, whether it be upon our parents or upon God, we would rather be self made. I think there's something else too. I read an interesting article a while ago about electronic etiquette. It's a fascinating article. And the article made the point that we are so busy as a culture today that it is becoming rude to leave a voicemail for people. Did you know this? Did you, were you aware of this? It's now considered rude to leave a voicemail for somebody because we are so busy that they shouldn't be obligated to spend the 35 seconds or however long it takes to listen to a message. They should just be able to see that you called on their phone, and if they feel obligated, they will return your call. Friends, I don't make the rules. I just report them. I thought that was fascinating. It also said that in an email exchange where questions are asked, where information is shared, that that if the other person provided you what you needed, that it is now considered rude to write back and to say thanks. That people get so many emails that, 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 that it's not necessary. In fact, it's even rude, especially... For something as unimportant as saying thanks, that it's no longer necessary. In fact, it's considered rude. You're clogging up my inbox. Is that what we've become? It's now considered rude to say thank you. Church, let me, let me just say for just a minute, if I ever do something that you appreciate and you wonder if I'm too busy to read a note that you send expressing your gratitude, I want you to know that I'm not. I'm not that busy. I would love to hear your expressions of gratitude and in the same way, in the same way that if you do something that I appreciate and I feel compelled to say thanks, even if it's just a a two-word email that says thank you, and you become miffed because I send that email, well, in that moment, you have bigger issues than whatever it is that you're (laughs) dealing with in that moment. I'm going to send the email. Here's something that I believe with my whole being, with every ounce, every fiber of my being, and that is that God is not put off by our gratitude that God is not put off by our gratitude. In fact, I believe, I believe with everything that I am that God delights in our gratitude. God delights in our thanksgiving. And the healthiest people that I know are not the ones who delight in being that proverbial self-made man or woman, but the healthiest, the most faithful, the most joy-filled people I know are those that live, that live lives that express gratitude, not just with their words, but the very way that they live their lives that expresses gratitude to everyone and to everything that has reached across some boundary to enrich and embrace their lives. Brene Brown is a professor of sociology down in Houston, and she's done all sorts of different research on important things and and done some, some, some important work on things like vulnerability and empathy and courage. And her most recent work has to do with gratitude, with saying thanks. And she says that oftentimes we we get it wrong, that oftentimes we think that if we can live lives of joy, that joy somehow begets gratitude. But she says no. The research points out that the most happy, the most joy-filled people are the, the other way around, that gratitude somehow begets joy. Gratitude begets joy. Anyone who lives with this sense of compassion, any sense of compassion at all, can tell you that there is brokenness everywhere, that life can be brutal, but the healthiest, the most alive, joy-filled people are those who choose to seek amongst the ribble for those things in life that they can be thankful for no matter how small that might be, that they are those that live lives of radical gratitude in the face of whatever life throws at you, that they are the ones whose mourning turns to dancing. The great theologian, the great philosopher, the great mystic, Meister Eckhart once said that if the only prayer that you ever say that the only prayer you ever say in your entire life is thanks, that it would be enough. If the only prayer that we ever say in our entire life is thank you, God, it would be enough.